Father, we thank you for all the ways that you provide for us and bless us and sustain us and give us everything that we need for life and godliness through the deep, rich knowledge, personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And as we continue to uh, go through the book of Acts and see how you worked uh, 2,000 years ago to lay the foundation for the church, which is uh, really just an extension of the kingdom that you are building and growing and one day will come and define reality on planet Earth. And we long for that day uh, to, to come swiftly. And so, Father, we thank you for all these things and thank you for all the ways you bless us. For Jesus' great name's sake, amen. All right, y'all, let's today, uh, since we're kind of jump-starting things, let's do a little bit of review, kind of big picture stuff. If you'll look, look in your notes on page, uh, let's start over on page 7, uh, pages 6 and 7. I'm just going gonna, gonna to point out some things to you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but um, since we haven't talked about this in a while, it's really important, particularly where we're picking up today, there is a... There is a uh, section there on pages 6 and 7, very bottom page 6, top page 7, what type of literature is Luke and Acts. And uh, one of the things that we have developed throughout this is that Luke and Acts, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, are meant to be taken together as one continuous work. Uh, that's the way Luke designed it, and that's the way we're kind of tracing through it. And, and the, the, the upshot of that is, is that if you don't see how those things link together, you're going you're gonna to misrepresent things that are going on in Luke, and in the same way, you're going to miss things that are going on in Acts. Um, I, just, I read an article two weeks ago on a blog. I can't even remember how I found it, but a guy was talking about some things in Acts, you know, and not, not to say I know everything going on, but I thought he misses the point because he doesn't understand what's going on in Luke. And so, therefore, these things that he said about Acts, I think... It was making like seven or eight points, and like five of them were like, that's not really what's going on, you know? And um, I, I, remember, uh, I remember one of my profs at, at seminary used to say, you know, in relation to the Old Testament and the New Testament, that if you don't understand the Old Testament and you have a good grasp of it, you're going to do a chainsaw massacre on the New Testament when you get there. And y'all know how true that is. And the same is kind of true with Luke and Acts. If you haven't studied Luke leading into Acts, then you get into some trouble when you get over into the book of Acts. So uh, here we've been dealing with Luke and Acts together as a continuous whole. And part of what Luke is doing, a big part, this is central to it, is uh, Luke is presenting these events as history wherein the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that has literally changed everything. Right? That, that has literally changed everything going on in the flow of history. And if you don't understand what that means and the ramifications of those events, then you're not going to understand the meaning of history. And so Luke is recording us uh, these things that lead up to the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and show us the significance of how we got to that. But then in Acts, he's showing the continuing work of Jesus in the early disciples, the apostles in the early church as he builds the foundation for the early church. And so um, that's, that's where we're picking up. And today, pages 7 and 8, uh, here, what's the structure of Luke and Acts? Again, I'm not going to talk about this very long. We've, we've talked about it quite a bit. Uh, a couple of things. At the bottom of page 7, this is from Ben Witherington's commentary, The Acts of the Apostles. Uh, that is a fantastic, I cannot 
recommend that commentary enough. It is scholarly, but, but Witherington writes in a way that you don't have to be a scholar to follow what he's saying. You know, he puts all of his really technical stuff in the footnotes and all. He writes in a very narrative way, almost like he's telling a story. Very good. In fact, I just he, I read a, a section of the commentary today where he's talking about women and the role of women uh, in the early church. It, and I'm going to probably take some excerpts and print it up and give it to y'all at some point. It's a fairly long section, but it is phenomenal. It's just unbelievable. Uh, some things he brings together. I, but you'll, you'll see that a little bit later. Uh, this quote comes from Ben Witherington. And uh, at the very bottom of page 7, that last paragraph that's bolded, uh, Witherington says there, uh, one can say then that the gospel, right, Luke's gospel, focuses on the vertical, the up and down the social scale, universalization of the gospel. In other words, in, in the, the gospel of Luke, he shows how the teaching and the way of Jesus affects everybody from the lowest rungs of society to the highest rungs of society. Uh, Jesus has come to save all people, right? All types of people from the poorest of the poor to the most powerful um, in the culture. So we see a lot of that in the book of uh, the gospel of Luke. Then in Acts, it shows that he focuses on the horizontal universalization, that is to all peoples throughout the empire. And that's what we're really going to start to get into today. Today we're going to be in chapter 9, and we begin to transition into the story of Paul in the book of Acts. And as you know, Paul is the apostle that's going to take the gospel beyond Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. He's the one that's going to begin to take it to the remotest parts of the earth, fulfilling the, the very theme that Luke has been building. And so the gospel is not just going to spread throughout the social strata. It also spreads among you know the larger uh, people groups uh, that we see represented in the Roman Empire in the first century. And that's why we're all in here today. You know, I mean, it, 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 I, whenever I, one of the things that I think about whenever I read through the book of Acts, it's, it's the startling realization that anytime we collect as believers in the West and we're not Jewish, it is because of Jesus and Paul. Right? Through, through, through that, and Jesus, yeah, okay, we got that. But through one man, Paul, he's the one that brought the gospel up into the lower parts of the Roman Empire, spreads into Europe, to Britain, to, you, right? You follow me? That, that one man is responsible for so much of that work. And, and the other men and women that he trained. So I'm not, I'm not saying that he did it all on his own, but he was the nucleus for so much of that uh, that happens. And so we're, we're going to start to get into his story in the book of Acts. Um, you know, in, in my thinking there, you know, the, really the men who do are so significant in the scriptures are Adam, Jesus, and Paul. I mean, the, if, if you understand what those three guys did, you kind of have a really big picture uh, understanding of what's happening. Now, we, we'd include Abraham and David and all that kind of stuff, but I'm talking more of the really, really big picture stuff. So uh, page eight, we have that chart. And uh, I just mentioned this to you. you. You can read the quotes leading up to this. Um, this chart shows how Luke organizes his material in, in a large geographic pattern that centers around the ascension of Jesus. Uh, so the gospel begins in Galilee of the Gentiles, right, on the outskirts of the land of Israel. And then we move from there to Samaria, to Judea, to Jerusalem, all the critical events of Jesus' uh, latter ministry, his death, 
his resurrection, um, his, his, uh, yeah, his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, those take place uh, around Jerusalem. And then from there, the early church begins in Jerusalem, and then it spreads from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Uh, we looked at that last year. This is kind of where we left off. Um, we saw the gospel began to spread beyond uh, Jerusalem, uh, primarily through the work of Philip. If you remember, Philip was mentioned, and he goes down and witnesses to an Ethiopian eunuch who more than likely takes the gospel back to Ethiopia with him. And so uh, the door is kind of open for the Lord to expand uh, the spread of the gospel. And today, if you notice, uh, we're going to be in chapter 9. So in that chart, we're down there the, like the third rung up from the bottom where the church is scattered in Judea and Samaria. And in the midst of that scattering, uh, again, the Lord starts to expand the uh, fringes of the gospel here and, and the people groups that are included in uh, the work of salvation. So that's where we're picking up today. Um, and really, if, if also, if you look at that chart there, you can see that the last two elements in, in Acts... It basically runs in the section that we're going to be in this year from chapter 11 through chapter 28. That's all of Paul's missionary journeys. It's the latter half of the book of Acts. Right? Paul has more content. His work has more content than almost any. Well, he does have more uh, that Luke is interested in than anybody else because his work is such, so pivotal to what's going on. So uh, we, we've worked our way through most of this and we've only got those last two ladder steps to uh work through, uh, and particularly in the book of Acts. So that's where we're going to pick up. Now, uh, let's get over in the text. Today we pick up in chapter 9. Uh, as you're turning there, um, just remind you that we're, we're still, we're in the early days of the church. We're in the first three or four years uh, after Jesus' ascension back into heaven. And um, we've had a lot of things have happened. Uh, really pivotal moment, uh, just tracing through, Peter and John go out in Jerusalem in the temple. They've been preaching, bringing many people to Jesus. Thousands and thousands have joined the way. Uh, then uh, in chapter 6 and 7, you have the internal conflicts that begin between the, the uh, Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, the Jews who spoke Greek, and then you know, the Jews that had been born in the land of Israel grew up speaking Aramaic and Hebrew. Uh, so we've had some conflicts in that. In the midst of that conflict, Stephen comes on the scene. Stephen is one of the Hellenistic Jews, and he is debating with the other uh, Greek-speaking Jews in the synagogues, in the Greek-speaking synagogues, and uh, nobody is able to deal with him, right? And so last couple of weeks, we looked at him coming on the scene, uh, him going before the Sanhedrin, giving his big speech before them. He makes them so mad uh, they take him out and stone him to death. Uh, he gets everybody bent out of shape. One of the greatest sermons in Acts is in chapter 7, uh, uh, Stephen, before the, the council there. Uh, and from that, uh, from that pivotal moment, a, a severe persecution breaks out against the early believers. And they are scattered throughout the land at this point. And of course, that's going to lead to the spreading of the gospel into new regions. Uh, Philip comes on the scene in chapter 8, just talked about him on page 41. Um, Philip is an evangelist and he, he goes out and he shares the gospel with several people, most notably the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's where we left off last year, pages 42 and 43 with Philip 
uh, uh, sharing the gospel with an Ethiopian, which uh, in the Roman Empire, Ethiopia was considered to be uh, one of the remotest places on the earth, part of the ends of the earth. When they thought about the fringes of their map, Ethiopia was about as far as they got because that was the extent of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire didn't press much further uh, past that. And, and uh, the Ethiopians, which first century, they were largely referred to as the Nubian kingdom. They were not under Roman imperial control. Uh, the Roman Empire had outposts close by there. But again, this, this would be you know, the fringes of where all the non-Romans would be. Just like in Britain uh, at this time, as the Roman Empire is making its way up into Europe, you know, northern Europe was filled with all the barbarian hordes and whatnot. And eventually the Roman Empire is going to make it up into Britain and they're going to run into all those Scottish and Irish people that are up there, all the crazy people. And they're like, okay, we think we've gone a little bit too far. We need to make a wall to keep these people away from us, right? Uh, so really incredible times, you know, that, that's going on here. And so uh, Philip uh, evangelizes this man from the ends of the earth, and that's kind of a foreshadowing of what's about to happen and, and what's even still occurring in our time, right? We're, we're still working to get the truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth, to every people, tribe, language, and nation. Uh, still some work to be done on that. We're very close, um, very close, in fact. So we'll talk more about that when we get to the end of Acts. So uh, with that, uh, at the end of chapter 8, we, we, we shift gears and we go back to a man who was introduced in chapter 9. He was introduced earlier at the stoning of Stephen, and his name is Saul. And so we pick up with him in chapter 9. Y'all, y'all know him very well. So let's, let's see what, what he's up to. In fact, the, the last thing that we read about him um, is um, on page 40, when they stone Stephen, it says they lay their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's in verse 58. And um, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul agreed to putting Stephen to death. So we already know where he stands on things. Saul is a Pharisee among the Pharisees. We're going to find out a little bit later. Uh, he is very zealous. He's fired up. And uh, he's about to get the breath knocked out of him in chapter 9. Uh, this, this, this is one of my favorite chapters in Acts. I love every, this story. Is, this narrative is told so well. Uh, with some, with, and it's very comedic in a sense. We'll, we'll try to pick up on some of that. So 9-1, page 43, 9-1. Let's see what happens here. It says, now, now, meanwhile, in the meantime, so in the background, right, as Philip's out preaching the gospel, here comes Saul. Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And so he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that he, if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So uh, Saul is not interested in blotting this thing out just in Jerusalem. He wants to go up as far as Damascus, which is the northernmost region of the land of Israel. Right? Uh, so you, you can see how fired up, how zealous he is to put an end to all this that's going to take place. Uh, what we're about to read in the rest of this chapter, uh, Paul himself is going to recount this episode two more times in Acts, in Acts 22 and then again in Acts 26. And in each time we're told the story, we get a little bit more detail, get a little bit different detail 
on what actually happened. So this is the first time we're going to hear about this conversion uh, of Saul. And so um, uh, it's going to set the stage for what we're going to get into a little bit later. In um, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul talks about being a violent persecutor of the early church. Uh, you can go read that. Uh, another uh, interesting thing for you to go read is Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Uh, really in chapter 1, Paul gives a little bit of biography about his life uh, before he came to the Lord Jesus. Before the Lord Jesus came to him, I should say. Grabbed him by the nape of the neck as he's going to do here and says, Son, you think you know what you're doing, but no. I got something else you're going to be doing. Um, so here... Um, we're going we're gonna to get into this conversion. Notice uh, also this is one of the first times um, in 9-2 that Christianity, early Christianity, is called the way. You see that? I love that. I love that. And, and what's, what, what that points to is these are people who are following the way of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus uses a lot of imagery about the way, the road. You know, and that, that's when Jesus used that term, the term just means the road. I am the road. I am the truth. I am the life, right? I'm the path you've got to be on in order to get back to the Father. But it also implies all of his teaching, right, about the way you live life on the way. You follow me? The way you actually carry yourself as you're following the way. And so such a great description uh, of the early believers. Um, we, ha we have a lot of people in churches that claim Jesus but don't follow his way. You know, you know what I mean? Um, we'll talk more about that as we go along. Now, 9-3, uh, it, it picks up. Here we go. Here's the story. And I'm going to read this whole thing uh, on the next page, and then we'll come back and make some points about it. It says, Now as he, Paul, Saul, at this point, traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. <laughs> Verse 6, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. And then Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And so they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... Here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight. And the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. <laughs> in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he can regain his sight. 9.13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go for this. Now, look, at, I love this. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings and the Israelites. And, and the Greek says here, I'm about to show him how much he will suffer for my name. 
That <laughs> uh, wow. Nine seventeen. So Ananias left and entered the house. And then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, you were traveling. He, he has sent me to you so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. Um, I, I, I love this story for a lot of different reasons. Number one, I, I want you to notice that um, Jesus does not ask Saul to believe in him. He simply tells him what you're going to be doing from this point forward. Right. That is why this is not a conversion. <laughs> right. This is a complete, total transformation. Saul thinks he knows what he's doing, but he has no idea what the larger plan is going on. And as Jesus uh, comes to him here, you know, this is going to be a complete turnaround for Saul. He's going to get a whole new direction in life. Uh, and, and I love how, uh, at least at this point, we don't, we don't know how he, what he's thinking about it or anything like that. that that's going to come a little bit later. We know where it's headed. Also, uh, as the Lord appears to him, um, uh, right, Saul is blinded and he has something like scales. Again, the symbolism of that is you think you, you see what's going on here, but you don't see at all what's actually going on here, right? You're, you're, you're spiritually blind. And, you know, I think of Jesus talking about the Pharisees at the end of his ministry, and he's really going off on him. He says, you are blind guides from the blind, right? You, you don't see clearly. You don't know what God is up to, and therefore you can't see clearly to lead not not even yourselves, but much less anybody else. And so Saul is part of that. He's spiritually blind to the larger reality. And Jesus gives him a physical, <laughs> physical representation of that uh, by literally making him go blind for three days. Um, going back, just, just a couple of things. Jesus appears in a bright light flashing around him. Falling down to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, now, take, take a look at that. This, this is such an important statement. Right? Saul is going out persecuting the church, right? the people that belong to Jesus. And when Jesus appears to Saul, he doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Whatever is done to Jesus' people, it's the same as if you're doing it to Jesus. He even tells parables related to that, right? Whatever you've done to the least of these, so also you've done it to me, right? Those we feed and we take care of, that's the same thing as doing it for Jesus. And so, so the same thing is here. It's also, you know, here that this is, this is Jesus in heaven, right? He's at the right hand of the Father. We've already seen him there with Stephen stoning. And yet he is still completely connected with the suffering of his people on earth. Right. He, he, he is he is, in a sense, experiencing right their suffering, our suffering along with us. Whatever's done to Jesus, people is the same as doing for him. That's an awfully comforting idea. And we see that show up in other places uh, in the New Testament. I'm, I'm going to take you some places where Paul talks about this a little bit later uh, when we get over into some of the journeys and take a sideline to look at some of his letters. But here, Jesus um, very clearly makes the point that to persecute his people is the same thing as persecuting him. 
And uh, notice Saul realizes this is the Lord talking to him. <laughs> Nine five. Who are you, Lord? He said. And then the answer, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, right? One of my profs in seminary said, this is the point at which Saul probably had to go and change his undergarments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I mean, can you, I mean, maybe put yourself in Saul's place. He's out persecuting the people of Jesus because he thinks Jesus is a false Messiah, Right. And here now Jesus is appearing from heaven, speaking to him from heaven. No, Saul, I, Jesus, that's who you're persecuting. Man, that is so good. I, I love the build up on that. And Jesus laying it out on him. And, and, but notice, and Saul's probably thinking, well, this is it. Uh, was, that, was that light, the lightning flash that killed me? Am I, you know, what's going on? But instead, Jesus tells him to go up, go into the city, wait there, um, uh, the men who are with him, they heard the sound, but they didn't see anything. Uh, Saul is going to uh, Paul is going to tell that a little bit differently when we get over later into some of the later stories, and we'll we'll take a look at that when we get there. But he gets up and he goes into Damascus and he waits. Uh, Ananias is called by the Lord to go uh, minister to, to Saul, and he does that, and so uh, Saul is drawn in. The the the. Again, the really significant thing is what is said in 915. This is the, this is the commission. Um, and notice, this is said to Ananias. This is not said to Saul yet. Paul is going to recount it. And he's going to, we're going to find out later that Jesus actually commissions him during this Damascus Road experience and tells him exactly what he's going to be doing. Now, we don't have that here yet, right? Uh, Luke has just given us kind of the big picture general account. Later, Paul is going to give us more details about it. Here, though, this commission, so to speak, goes to Ananias. And this is what he says. This man is my chosen instrument to, to take my name to the Gentiles, to the nations. That, that's really what that word means. Uh, I, I have a, I have a hang-up uh, always using the word Gentiles. Uh, in some of these texts, because the significance of what Jesus is saying here is that he's going to take the gospel to the nations, right? He's going to begin to do that. That is all the other people groups on planet Earth, right? And, and I'd rather, I think this is a case where nations is a better way to think about that. Uh, all the nations that are not the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, clearly. Uh, and to kings and to the Israelites. He's, he's going to do that very thing in the rest of the book of Acts. And then this last thing, he says, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Right? Paul's been the one dealing out the suffering. And now he's going to, and Jesus is about to show him how much he's going to suffer for him. Uh, Paul talks about that quite a bit in his letters, everything that he goes through. Uh, let me see if I can, I just thought of this. I, I meant to look it up earlier. Um, he talks about this. <clears throat> In, um, I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians. Let me see if I can find it right quick. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, he, he talks about everything that he endured. Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, shoot. I thought it was right. Oh, yeah, here we go. Boasting, great labors. Yeah, here it is. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
he, um, he is dealing with these uh, false apostles that have come into the church. And these people are claiming to be people of some repute, and yet they're preaching contrary to the truth of the gospel. And so Paul kind of, he does what he says is some utter foolishness here. Uh, that is, he gives a list of the things that qualify, qualifies him to be a true apostle, right? To be somebody you should trust and, and listen to. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is right in the middle of, of verse 21, where we pick up. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 21, Paul says, listen, what, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, now I'm speaking as a fool here, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the sea, uh, offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of the Messiah? Well, I'm a better one. <laughs> uh, it, now, I'm talking like a madman here, right? So, so Paul knows. Yeah, I'm, I'm going over the top here. But I think this is important for you to understand. Uh, I'm talking like a madman, but I've had far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That was a beating so severe it could kill you. And he had it administered to him five times. I guess he didn't get the lesson, right? uh, Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. (laughs) Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. We're going to hear about all that in the book of Acts. Uh, In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I wonder what the health and wealth preachers do with this passage. <laughs> if you follow Jesus, all your wildest dreams are going to come true, right? He <laughs> did need just a little more faith, and this might have worked out better for him, right? Um, 28. Ah, this is the part that really gets me. I, I love this. So after that long list of all these things he's been through, he says this, and apart from all these other things, There is the daily pressure on me with my anxiety for all the churches. He's been beat half to death. And the thing that's on his mind that gives him the most anxiety is thinking about all these churches that have been founded through his ministry. And now all these false teachers coming in to uproot the work that he's done. Right. That's the last thing he says about it. That, that's the most important thing that weighs on him. Not that I've been beat half to death, but the anxiety that I have for all these people that are being lured away from the truth. Right. Ah, man. Um, he, he's at verse. Tw- I love this. Verse 29. He says, who is weak? Uh, and am I not weak? Uh, who is made to fall? Uh, am I not indignant? I must boast of these things and show my weakness. The God and father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Uh, so here he, you know, he makes his point that uh, these things I've suffered, nobody does this unless you really believe what you're teaching, right? And that's what that's what that's summing up what Jesus says there. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for me, right? And then you put that together with uh, what he says in Philippians, right? Uh, he he gives another list there. 
right? I'm, of, uh, I'm a Jew among Jews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, right? His name is Saul. He's named after the most prominent member of the tribe of Benjamin, which is Saul, the great king who utterly failed, right? But still the name is great, named after him, circumcised on the eighth day, right? Uh, among the sect of the Pharisees and among the strictest sect of all the Pharisees, right? And he gives his list. And at the end of that, he says, I, I consider all of that utter rubbish, dung. And he uses a very crass word there in Greek, right? You can get the idea. Uh, utter trash as compared to the great privilege of simply knowing Jesus, Right. So what Jesus says here about Paul, I mean, it's so fantastic that we get such a great biography of all those things in the rest of Acts and also in his letters. Right. Really, really stunning when we put all those things together uh, here. Uh, Ananias comes. He serves Saul, uh, tells him what's happened clearly, um, tells him, right. I'm here to give you a sight back so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Saul gets up, scales fell off, he's baptized, and after taking some food, he regains his strength. And so he's going to stay in Damascus now for several days. Um, any questions about that episode there? Y'all, we're at the point in Acts where, man, some of these, like I've told y'all last year, we're going to read through some of this, and there's not a lot more I know to say. It's just kind of, there it is. I, you know, I just, I just follow along. There's not anything heavy, which I'm, I'm really glad of after going through Luke. So any questions or comments on that? <clears throat> All right, uh, top of page 45, we continue on. Jesus, uh, uh, Paul begins to proclaim Jesus. So this is the beginning of his uh, ministry there. It says, now immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. Uh, that is, that I, th I think, I, I meant to go back and look this up, and I totally forgot about it. I think that's the first time that's been specifically stated that way uh, as a summary statement, right? And, and I think that, that what Luke intends this to be is, is that all of the arguments that Paul is making leads to this conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God and all that that implies. And, and, and we're, we're going to see that in his, in his sermons that are going to start to show up that Paul always comes back to this idea that uh, Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied, who is the son of David, and is, is in a very literal sense the son of God in human flesh. And we'll, and we'll see that as we get on over into his sermons. Uh, verse 21, and, and by the way, that one statement is the one thing that would stir up the Jewish population more than anything else. Because that's the hurdle that's very difficult for the Jews to get over. How can Jesus be the Son of God? Because that, uh, as we've seen in the Gospels, making that claim makes him in some level equal with God himself. Right. So, uh, and again, we're going to see that worked out in these next several episodes here. 9.21, all who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man who in Jerusalem was destroying those who called on this name? And then came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priest. Notice how many times just the name has been mentioned here. Right there, um, Saul was destroying those who called on the name of that man. Earlier, uh, again, we heard the name of Jesus. So again, you know, Luke places a lot of emphasis just on the name uh, of Jesus. Nine twenty-two. But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. 
Uh, so there it is. Saul is making the argument that Jesus is the Son of God and also that he's the Messiah. And this is um, particularly the Messiah part. That's what Peter and John and the other apostles have been doing in Jerusalem. So uh, Saul just picks up in that, in that same thread. Yes, uh-huh. Damascus here. Yeah. Up in Turkey, yeah, uh huh, yeah. He's he's going to go on over, yeah. We're we're going to go. Uh, Saul is going to um, Saul is going to go from Damascus. Well, in fact, I'm, we're about to read some things related to that. Saul uh, goes from uh, Damascus, and then he goes back over to Tarsus, and then Barnabas goes and finds him and brings him back to Antioch, and then from Antioch they go to Cyprus, and then from Cyprus they go up into Turkey, and we'll and we'll we'll look at all that. Uh, when we get over to chapter 13 and so forth. Yeah, but he does a lot of kind of looping around and then he goes back to, uh, he's, you know, even before that he has an episode where he goes back to Jerusalem. And yeah, so tracing where he goes is really interesting in Acts because he is, he is all over the place, you know. And, uh, but once he begins his missionary journeys, they go up into Turkey and they spend a lot of time in Asia Minor, which is modern uh, day Turkey, and then over into Greek and Macedonia. That's that's it. Yeah, that's the that's the first uh, when you get into Asia Minor, that's really uh, that's really the, the, the part of the empire that is predominantly, you know, Roman, Greek uh, and some of the Hellenistic Jews that have the synagogues in there. Yeah, it's 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 really fascinating. There's a point. Um, there's a point where uh, they're on their journeys. I'm trying to remember if this is the first or the second journey. I, I, I always get these things confused. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Saul is going along and there's a point where they're, gonna, they're going up and they're going to go east, uh, which would take them over right into the, you know, basically modern day Iran, Iraq, whatever. And at that point, it says uh, the spirit of Jesus says to them, no, you can't go east. You got to go west. Right. And that one day, <laughs> that one little course correction is why we're all in this room today. Right. Because that meant the gospel was coming to us. Right. And then there were other apostles who took the gospel to the east, you know, Thomas and some of the others. But every time I read that, I just think, oh, man, that's so fascinating. And, and also, uh, we know that Peter was already over in that direction. And so, you know, the Lord is telling Paul, no, 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 I want you all to head over this way. There's a lot of work we got to do over in that region, you know. So, yeah. And I, I, by the way, I'll have some maps and stuff for you all when we get there. Because, you know, we're going to get to that point where he goes to this city and that city and this city. And we don't know that old geography. Most of us do good to know modern geography, much, much less, uh, you know, what happened 2,000 years ago. So we're, we're going to trace all that out when we get over there. Yeah. Where does the time where it, where does it, where it refers? He's kind of in the wilderness. I, I, uh, I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Yeah. We're, we're, in fact, we're going to read this and then I'm going to go talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So hang on to that for just a second and I'm going to go look at it. Um, it says, and after many days had passed, uh, 923. Pardon? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 this has many, many days here, but putting it in the chronology, it may be something like three years or so. Yeah. Uh, 923, after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. So they were watching the gates um, day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. And when he had arrived in Jerusalem, so here he goes, he's going back down to Jerusalem. 
He tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, and here comes Barnabas again. If you remember, we've already heard, him, heard about him earlier. Um, godly man, full of the Spirit. And so he's, he's going to be critical in the days ahead. So here comes Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Um, now, we're about to go talk about what happens in between verses 27 and 28. So just hold on to that for just a second. Verse 28, Now Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. There we, here we go. <laughs> Boy, howdy. He, you know, after Stephen, they are really amped up. Man, they're trying to kill everybody left and right. And, and by the way, the, those Jews are probably some of the ones that would have been in support of Saul as he goes out and, you know, trying to take everybody prisoner and bring him back and have him killed. 930, now when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now, that's significant. Just circle that because Barnabas is going to go find him um, in Tarsus a little bit later and bring him back to Antioch. Which is, um, which is really interesting. Luke will do this as he overlaps stories because um, like what he's done in the past, here he's introduced Saul to us, right? And before he completes the Saul story, he's going to go back and complete Peter's story for us, right? And then when he picks up Paul again, Saul, uh, Saul is going to be in Tarsus, the place where he left him. Same thing he does with Philip. When Philip uh, did his preaching, he preaches to the Ethiopian eunuch, and then the last we hear about him, he's at Azotus, Asdod. When we pick up with him again later, that's where he's going to be. So, so Luke is very careful to like, uh, uh, link these things together geographically. He'll put somebody in a city, and then when he comes back to them, they're still there. You follow what I'm saying? Just a, a great storyteller, a great narrative uh, uh, development. And, and, and I'm not saying he's making these things up. I'm saying he is uh, laying this out so we can understand the, the flow of these events and link them together. Now, uh, 931 is a conclusion to this. It says, now, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, building up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. Uh, that is, look at that statement. They're walking in what? The fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. That's such a great statement, right? Uh, when you are in the middle of the work that Jesus is doing on planet Earth, it's a terrifying thing, right? Because you don't know what's coming next, right? People are coming to faith, right? Miraculous things are happening. Look, look, look at Saul. You think, uh, talk about terror, right? Saul just had a good episode of terror on the road to Damascus, right? Uh, so here, this idea of the fear of the Lord is when you're experiencing this kind of work, it's, a, it's an awesome thing to be a part of. Uh, you can go read about the Puritans that were all part of the First Great Awakening here in America, in the colonies. Um, uh, Jonathan Edwards being chief among them. And, and in his uh, later years, he talked about being part of that. And he said, you know, at one time in my life, I saw the incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he said, it's a terrifying thing to be in the midst of. Absolutely terrifying, right? 
So here, there, I think there's somewhat of a literal sense of this. They're walking in the fear of the Lord. But, you know, also that means great reverence and awe, right? Realizing what all is going on. But even as they're in the midst of that, what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's encouraging them. You're right where you need to be, right? Everything's going exactly the way it ought to work out here. Uh, we'll come back to those ideas. That, that's going to be significant uh, in a couple of future chapters. Now, uh, I want to take just a minute here uh, before we get back into Peter. Um, here at the beginning of Saul, I want to turn over to Galatians, and I want to read something to you. Uh, let's see, which, which one do I want to do first? Yeah, let me, let's, let's read Galatians, and then we're going to go over and look at that chronology. Uh, in Galatians, like I said, chapter 1 and 2, primarily chapter 1, Paul gives us some background uh, about his early life and what happened to him. And um, it, it, it begins, let's see, yeah, it begins in verse 11. Let's, let's, ta- let's take a look at this. Galatians chapter 1, if you want to turn there. I'm, I'm going to read all this out loud, of course. Uh, I'm going to begin in, in verse 11, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. And there, uh, Paul is going to give some of his uh, biography, some of his background, and it fits right into where we are right now in Acts with, it, with his conversion and in the, in the years right after that. So it says this, uh, uh, or he says this, he says, listen, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now look at now that's a really important statement. The message that Paul preaches was not one that he got from Peter or James or John. This is what Jesus gave to him. So just, just, just hold that in mind for a minute. And notice he says it was by a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, through a visible appearing of Jesus. That's what a revelation is, right? Uh, And we'll we'll see that again in just a minute here. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely jealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart from my mother's womb and who called me by his grace was to was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the nations I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but I went away into Arabia and then returned again to Damascus right now that's that's real uh, this is not mentioned in acts anywhere as far as I can tell uh, first of all, no, I, I love what Paul says in verse 15. He who had set me apart from my mother's womb. <laughs> right? And we're, we're going to see this as we go. Uh, there is nobody else, as far as I can tell, in the book of Acts that could have done what Paul did. The Lord had been preparing him for his role from his mother's womb. He always had him in the right place with the right teachers, with the right upbringing, Right. Paul, uh, uh, Paul is a unique person. We'll, we'll look at this later. Paul is Jewish, but his family had won their Roman citizenship through their tent making business, which gave him an upper leg, not just in Jewish society, but he's a Roman citizen. He can claim things that normal Jewish people can't. 
And that's going to be really significant as we get over into Acts. He's going to use that to his advantage. But he's in, the, he's in the upper crust of the Jewish community as he's been trained in Jerusalem by one of the chief rabbis of the time. In fact, one of the key rabbis at the time. And that rabbi, as I mentioned early, uh, earlier at Gamaliel, was on the liberal side, quote unquote, of things that believed that his students ought not only ought to be taught Jewish things, but they needed to read Greek and Roman literature because the Greeks rule the world. And if we're going to fit in and survive whatever's going on with this Roman Empire, we need to understand what's going to happen. Later in Acts, uh, Paul is going to quote from Greek Roman poets because that was part of his education that many of the other Jewish boys didn't get, right? It's just stunning when you think about the Lord preparing him at every step along the way for exactly what, the, what he's going to need him to do. And here, Paul says, I was set apart from my mother's womb for that. Uh, now notice, it says that, that he went away into Arabia, and then he returned again to Damascus. You see that? So th this has taken place somewhere um, during this whole Damascus Road experience. If you turn over to the chronology that's at the very beginning on page 9, if you'll look over at that, We'll, we'll, we'll try to make some sense out of this. Page 9, there's a chronology, a basic chronology of the New Testament. It goes from uh, chapter, uh, pages 9 through 11. And if you notice there, uh, down just above the middle of the page, uh, over in the left-hand column, we, we have the years. If you look over in, in the year A.D. 30 through 33, that's the events of uh, Acts chapters 1 through 8. So there's about a three-year period there that covers all of the events that we've just read about in the first eight chapters of Acts. Now, when we come to chapter 9, uh, probably somewhere around A.D. 33, 34, this is where Paul witnesses the resurrected Lord on the way to Damascus and is commissioned as an apostle to the nations. Uh, again, Paul is going to tell us more about that a little bit later. Uh, everybody track along where I am in the chronology there? Then, uh, from, from then, from AD 34 or so to 37, Paul ministers in Damascus and also in, in Arabia. Now, there I should have put he's with Jesus in Arabia, uh, probably first, because um, I, although this is not mentioned right here in Acts, Apparently, what uh, Paul, and we'll, we'll see a little bit more about this in Galatians in just a second, is that uh, Paul went away into Arabia. Arabia is the desert. It's a desert region. And he was away in the desert for some period of time where Jesus was teaching him. And that's what he probably means by, I learned this gospel through revelation. Jesus came and personally taught Saul what he was going to need to know for the rest of his ministry. This is after Christ was crucified. This is after his ascension, right? This, this, this is four, at least four years after Jesus' ascension. He comes back to teach Saul, <laughs> who's going to become Paul, right? <laughs> that blows my mind. Uh, then, uh, after that, that three-year period or so, Paul meets with Peter in Jerusalem. We're, we're going to see that in Galatians. Uh, he, he goes back. Then, uh, he returns to Syria, Tarsus, and Cilicia, and that's actually where we left him right there. Uh, he's there somewhere from 37 to 45 or so. Now, a couple of things. One main thing I want you to notice that because we have this false notion that uh, Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and he's immediately out doing his missionary work. But look, 
He meets Jesus in AD 34, and it is not until AD 44, 45, that Barnabas comes and finds him and takes him back to Antioch. Almost 10 years passes. You see that? Uh, no, pr- probably, probably for maybe a three-year period. He, he's going to say something about that in just a second. So he, he was with Jesus for a short period there. And then he goes back to Damascus for a while. And then he goes to Jerusalem. And then he goes back up to Tarsus, which, as you all know, I should have mentioned this, that's his hometown. That, that's where his family was actually from. Uh, and Tarsus is part of the province of Cilicia. And that's why that's all mentioned together there in one go. Uh, so you can kind of see the progress of things there. Uh, and that's what he's mentioning in Galatians 2 here. Now let, let's go back to Galatians and finish reading uh, a, a couple of things. Uh, so uh, he, he's been in Arabia. He went away into Arabia and he returned again to Damascus. And so we pick up in Galatians 1.18. It says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Peter, Uh, And remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Right? I'm not making this up. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Now that's where he goes back to Tarsus. So he's in Arabia and Damascus uh, for around three years. We're we're not told exactly how long he was in Arabia with the Lord, apparently. Uh, But he was in that region for uh, three years. Then he goes to Jerusalem. And then after a short time there, he goes back up into Syria and Cilicia, which is where Tarsus is. Verse 22, it says, Now I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only uh, were hearing it said of me, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they all glorified God because of me. And he says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I had proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. That's after his fourth, uh, first missionary journey. Right? You, you, you follow me? So now he jumps forward 14 years, and this is after he's been on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. And they go back to the disciples at Jerusalem to make sure they're not doing something out of touch with what the Lord wants them to do. Um, and, and then he, he, he goes on to, to talk about some other things that happened, but we'll, we'll come back to that a little bit later because uh, he, 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 uh, he gets up in Peter's face at one point and calls him out on some things, but I'm going to wait to talk about that a little bit later. Here I just wanted to see the, uh, see the uh, larger scope of what's going on because all of that... All of that that we just talked about, that takes place, apparently, uh, back in your text, that all takes place in between Acts 9.27 and 9.28. Right, in uh, Damascus, Arabia, uh, and then he goes down uh, to Jerusalem, right, shortly, and then he goes back up, uh, and he goes back off to Tarsus. So what he talks about in Galatians 1, you can just put that right there in between uh, Acts 9.27 and 9.28. Um, and so uh, that begins to give us a biography of Saul at this point. Notice, uh, notice he still calls Saul. Uh, we're not going to get to Paul until his first missionary journey. And we'll talk about that in chapter 13. But here he's still going by the name of Saul. Um, 
And so uh, there he is, and the church has peace. Next week, as we come back on page 46, again, we're going to go back to Peter for just a little bit. So for next week, go ahead and read uh, the rest of chapter 9 on page 46 and read all of chapter 10. Uh, we're going to actually read on over into chapter 11 as well. This is all um, the story of Peter going to Cornelius' house. And uh, chapters 10 and 11 are almost telling the same thing back to back. And so we're, we're going to work through those two chapters fairly swiftly because there's a lot of repetition in here. And we'll, and we'll focus on the things that are, that are uh, binding all those things together. But here, uh, what's about to happen, as you all know the story, we go back to Peter one more time and his story is closed out as the Lord sends him to Cornelius, a Gentile's house. And Peter is given the opportunity to open the gospel to the Gentiles, right, to, to the nations. Uh, uh, Cornelius is not a Hellenistic Jew. He's not a Hebraic Jew. He's a full-on Gentile. And Peter is sent and he, he does not want to go. <laughs> right? Why in the world uh, would I want to go do that? Uh, he fights with the Lord a little bit in here, right? This is where uh, chapter 11 is where I tongue-in-cheek say, this is the chapter where Peter finally gets saved. <laughs> it all comes together in his mind, right? Oh, 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 this is what we're doing, right? It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, Peter has been a believer up to this point. In chapter 11, he gets saved, right? So we'll talk about that when we get there next week. Um, so yeah, y'all go ahead and read chapters 10 and 11, and, and, and we'll, we'll work through those next week. Anybody, any questions or comments here? Last couple of minutes we got before we close out. All right, y'all, let me, let me pray for us, and we'll, and we'll turn loose here. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to get together and study your word, and thank you that everybody's back uh, here this semester, 2024. We realize that everything we have is by your grace and by your provision. Everything that we have belongs to you. In fact, because everything was created by, through, and for our Lord Jesus. So, so, Father, give us the wisdom to be good stewards of our time and our responsibilities so that we can be witnesses for you right here in 2024 in a powerful way that people may get a taste of your goodness and the power of your kingdom through us uh, as you've left us here to do that very thing. And so we ask all this for Jesus' great name's sake. Amen.